Welcome back to the Cross Games Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff, and we're here to talk about video games and things related. It has been a little while since we last got on together. Um, pre-pandemic, actually. It's, um, it's really a unique and quite difficult time for, for a lot of people, and I have the most sincere hopes that you're finding your way through this safely. Gaming has taken a small but interesting spotlight in many lives during this time. It's a way to entertain. Uh, with online capability, it's a way to connect at a safe distance, which is really important. And for some, it's a way to escape what is going on. I myself have taken to the controller a little bit each day to wind down and see what awaits me around the next corner or in the next loot chest. Now, don't you think that this would be a good time to take a pickaxe to that backlog and really crank through some stuff? Well, it could be, if I wasn't replaying the same things again and again. Oy. Let's get into that. What the heck, man? The opportunity to have brand new game experiences has just about never been higher. Over the last few weeks, the deals I have come across and taken advantage of has seen a lot of new games come in the door of my home. And the truth of the matter is, I am not rushing to give any of those a try. As pleased as I am to have those acquisitions, several of which I've waited quite a while for a deal, uh, at really nice prices, I have instead been spending some time in the comfort food depths of my games. I've carried over this habit from early in my gaming days and I think, in many ways, it's just a personality trait of mine to lean into things that I know are enjoyable, uh, games that I understand well, and that in some cases, there is enough opportunity to tweak my approach and get something additional out of the experience. There are plenty of times where I want something new. But a lot of the unplayed games I have, what I do know about them is that they may have a lengthy learning curve, either through the play system or the story to wrap my head around. My opportunity to play lately has been later in the evening when my eyes are tired and I'm just not in the right headspace to retain and react to new systems or stories. So 
of a console and PC game collection that spans hundreds of titles, there are those warm and fuzzy favorites that I will happily jump into for the hundredth time. And I'd like to share some of those titles with you and how they got to be in that status. As a side note, these are favorites that are more around the last decade or two and not games that I would have spent repeated time with earlier in life. That could be essentially a whole nother episode. So we'll just stick mostly to the most recent stuff here. The first game we're going to talk about is Ghostbusters for the PS3 and Xbox 360. There is a remastered version for PS4 and I think other current gen. Um, So this game was everything I wanted in a Ghostbusters game. And I had never got those things until that point. I saw Ghostbusters, the 1984 movie, as a kid, and I was just crazy about it. I thought the Proton Pack was the greatest, uh, cooler than any other sci-fi thing I had seen at that point. I watched the real Ghostbusters cartoon uh, as a kid, uh, just religiously on Saturday mornings. And I had most of the toys that tied into those things. When it came to video games, however, my only experiences were for the NES and Commodore. And both of those were extremely lacking. Not only did they make the ultra-cool proton stream look like a boring blinking squares. I mean, granted, you were dealing with... uh, very limited uh, processing power at the time. But the moronic side things you had to do when not busting ghosts, uh, they they were frustrating and and not entertaining to me. When the PS3 and 360 version was being hyped and clips were online, it looked just too good to be true. I didn't have either of those consoles at that point. But there was a version, not the same game at all in in retrospect, for the PlayStation 2. And that's what I had my sights on, because that's the system I had. So I waited and waited and read all the terrible things that compared the PS2 and, and Wii version to what was being put out on the 360 and PS3. But what was I going to do? Those were big investments for a guy on his own, not making great money, combined with very limited time. Well, a big window of time opened up in the form of a relationship I had been in coming to an end. That next weekend, I moved some money around and I was at Best Buy with a black Xbox 360 Elite in my basket, which was supposed to be the unit that didn't fail at the same pace as the white model, which I guess is true because I still play that same machine today. So I had the Elite, which came with Lego Batman and Pure, which is a great ATV game. Um, 
and I bought Halo 3, Dead Space, another great game, and Ghostbusters. I was not prepared for the level of what I perceived as the perfect Ghostbusters experience. The music was 100% there from the first minute. All of the actors' voices were there, which I was floored they got everyone to work on it. Uh, The sound effects were there in all their memorable glory. Just all the old enemies and pains in the ass like Walter Peck. It was a true movie sequel done better than anything I had seen to date. The Proton Pack was a freaking blast to use as as it should be. Just slightly uncontrollable and powerful without seeming ridiculous. Uh, there, was, there was actual creepy parts of the game too. At, at least to me there were. Um, to go along with all the the comic fun that they added. And though I have gone through the game multiple times, it's extremely fun to come back to. Uh, If you liked the Ghostbusters movies and want to play through a kick-ass substitute for Ghostbusters 3, do yourself a favor, play through it. It was everything I could have asked for. So that brings us to uh, the, next, the next game here. Um, this is a game that, that I read about it and figured it would be pretty good. But I wasn't expecting the fun I would have with it. Uh, and that it will likely never leave my game collection. It's, I, I just enjoy it too much. And that game is Driver San Francisco for the PS3 and Xbox 360. I had limited experience with driver games in the past. I played Driver 2 for the PS1 a long time ago. And while I wasn't very good at the campaign itself, I enjoyed the freedom of cruising around. Something with me is I enjoy driving games with the actual licensed cars. Um, but what I also enjoy is more of an arcade style of racing versus that Gran Turismo style of, of tuning and realism. That's um, not to say that I don't want any realism. I, I have a, a problem with a game that allows a, a Dodge Neon to keep pace with a Dodge Viper. Do, uh, Driver San Francisco married all of that together for me with 140 licensed cars. And let's say if you were in in Tanner, Tanner is the um, main character who you play. If you were in Tanner's Challenger or an older Trans Am or a GTO, it was going to sound the part. It's going to spin tires like nobody's business. And it's going to lose traction on tight corners. If you got into a Cadillac DTS or a town car, the sound would be muted. It would have modest acceleration, but feel heavy and floaty. 
And if you got into a caravan or something, you would expect the same type of shifts uh, to, to sound. Performance, it, lack thereof, really. Handling like crap. Um, so it, it was real enough for me where the cars seemed to act like they like the, like they should have. Um, now the campaign, while I finished it, wasn't my favorite part of the game. Free drive uh, was close because they gave you a huge, relative open playground of San Francisco and surrounding areas to go crazy with. And there were side objectives, and there were some challenges, and movie tie-ins uh, that were fun to explore. For example, uh, and there's a small spoiler here, so um, prepare yourself on that. If you got into a DeLorean for the first time in the game and went the requisite 88 miles an hour, let's say it did exactly what you expect it would do in the lines of Back to the Future references. So I think the most fun I've had with the game is two-player couch co-op tag mode. So you and player two are plopped down in a section of the city and someone is uh, obviously it. Uh, They have to smash the crap out of the other person who's free to roam, who's not it. The person who is it and trying to make the other person it can switch into any car available to chase them down. The free-to-roam party must stick in whatever car they were in when they became the free-to-roam party, or the other person became it. That person, that free-to-roam party, has a timer on how long they remain free without becoming tagged. And the individual with the longest time, it switches back and forth depending on who's it, will win. So in this mode, there's just, there's unbelievable close calls. There's crazy mayhem uh, with all all the other traffic and everything else. And it's just so much fun. If the rest of the game got corrupted and tag was the only thing that worked, I would keep it just to play that and come back to it. It is an absolute blast to play. The next game. In truth, I can't say a lot that hasn't been said about this game. It's the almighty the behemoth, Skyrim. It took me probably eight months, if not longer, to get my hands on a copy after it came out. As mentioned, funds were somewhat limited, and if I wanted anything that came out in the last year, it needed a price drop. So when the vanilla copy for the 360 
dropped to 40 bucks and I had some birthday money on hand, I went after it. This was not my first Elder Scrolls experience, but for some reason, it was the only one I got past the, let's say, the three-hour or, or so mark. So with Morrowind, I bought it for PC, not understanding specs and, and what helped the game run right. Because I didn't really, I didn't, I just didn't get it at that point. Um, I, I didn't quite grasp what my computer had and what minimum requirements equated to compared to what I had. So really, the thing barely ran. I was hardly off the damn bolt when I when I gave up trying to get it to run right. Um, I bought Oblivion. For the 360. But I really can't tell you why it did not trigger my senses in the same way Skyrim did. I keep swearing to myself to go back to it. But each time I get through the first gate or two, I get distracted. But anyways, this isn't about Oblivion. I think the first time I decided I needed Skyrim was the first time I saw someone on YouTube cast the the first fire spell, flare, what, whatever you pretty much got from the start. The line of flames, how cool it looked, how much better I thought Skyrim did a fire spell than, than any other game I had seen to date. I needed it just based on that. When I got it, it took me... I would say three swings at least to get a character built that I wanted to keep rolling with for the whole game. I knew it would be a long road. So if I was, and this is a failing with me with other RPGs as well, if I was 10 to 15 hours in and a thought occurred to me that if I did this, this, and this with my character from the start of the game, and maybe did this particular story element or side quest before the other one, then everything would shake out in perfection. Well, no, that's not how it works. you got to run with it. So I think my first full time through, I really was impressed at every turn. The expanse of wilderness... The range of stories and characters and small detail everywhere. It was a feast for the, for the senses. It constantly gave you routes to explore of, of getting better at blacksmithing or enchanting or maxing out one of the many skill trees. It was just so damn good. You know, you were thinking about choosing what companion would accompany you along your way. The the Dark Brotherhood, uh, Dark Brotherhood, and Thief Guild roots. Um, talk about having a game within a game. Those those side stories were just awesome. They were just awesome. So when the Legendary Edition came out. 
with uh, with all the DLC. I got that and played it to death. Then when the special edition for current gen came out with the ability to use mods, because um, I didn't have a PC that would have run it, I went right back in. I rarely will go the full game through each time. Because I've already done the several hundred hour runs to finish. But usually once a year, I'll get the itch to create a character and start brand new. Because each time, almost without fail, there will be a cave I missed, a situation that doesn't fall like it had in the past, and I get a slice of new with my old and comfortable Skyrim. I've not played the Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I prefer my experience to run solo. But I can't process in my mind what Elder Scrolls 6 will be like. And the likelihood of launching on next gen, the kind of expansive beauty they will create. I can't imagine what they'll, what they'll put together. It's, it's going to be really something. I have four other games that I had thought about when I was putting my shortlist together. <clears throat> but in the interest of keeping this episode manageable, I will pick one more, and I'll go on the PC side this time. And if people are interested in hearing more about these, I'll uh, put another episode together. The last game, or couple, I could say, that we could get into here is the Heroes and Might and Ma- of Might and Magic games. Number two and number three specifically. When I was introduced to the series, it was to Heroes of Might and Magic 2. I watched a friend play it for a while without ever knowing anything about about it in terms of the the type of game it was, the objective. I was incredibly intrigued, though. The music was really good for the time. This is mid-90s, mid to late 90s. Um, I actually still have a few of the tracks in my game music that I listen to. For those unfamiliar, it is a turn-based strategy game where in campaign mode or in randomized maps, you build up a small castle by placing structures once per turn. And those structures will allow you to recruit heroes. Um, They'll allow you to purchase army units for your heroes, add magic spells to your your repertoire, uh, add buffs to your hero or to your castle in some way. You then take that hero in unit groups onto the map and traverse a very full and randomly generated outer world and sometimes an underworld where you'll find monster stacks to battle. And what I say when I say monster stacks, what I mean is there might be a group of three griffins or there might be another group of 10 pikemen or 50 archers or what have you. So, um, when I refer to stacks, it's like 
one group of enemies represented by uh, an icon that looks like that enemy. Um, there's experience shrines throughout the throughout the map, um, little side quest um, giving places, and um, there's artifacts to equip. There's mines where you could get gold or ore or gems. And there's also other castles to take over and build up. Um, and of course, your opponent's heroes out on the map that you'll battle and conquer. Um, battle takes place on a hex grid. And all of the units of the hero that you have will be placed on the map in the stacks that I described. And your hero also enters battle in various ways, depending on what numbered game you're playing. Sometimes they'll, if it's one of the older games, it allows the hero to participate by throwing spells or uh, adding buffs to the character or debuffs to the, to the opposing army. But later in the numbered series, they, allow, they actually allow the hero to take part in the battle. Um, so at any rate, there, there are spells to cast, uh, each, uh, stack of units have, um, you know, their specialties or, uh, you know, different hit points or, uh, abilities to be a ranged character or a melee character. And basically victory is achieved when one party expires all of their units or one of the heroes will surrender or flee. So in addition to all of that exploration and battling, you must defend your home castle against your opponents coming to take it over. And you're going to take over theirs. And there's a lot of different castles. So um, let's say there is actually a town called a castle town. Uh, let's say you have that as your home base. You'll be able to recruit soldiers, uh, you know, pikemen, uh, archers, paladins, um, cavalry, swordsmen, that sort of thing. But on the map, you may find a necromancer castle and take it over. And then all of a sudden, you start building buildings in that necromancer castle that allow you to recruit skeletons or zombies or vampires. So with all of the different types of castles, you really have a lot of different ways to go about winning the game you could have you know a, a warlock character that has all these different types of units um, of the same type or you could have uh you know a wizard character that has um uh, four different types of units but you know you have to be careful of that in certain ways there are certain groups that don't get along with each other it's a lot to think about uh and a lot to consider but it's done in a way that makes a lot of sense or is e at least easy to understand for someone who is somewhat new to the series. So um, all of that was, was fascinating to me. I loved it. When I started playing Heroes of Might and Magic 3, I knew nothing about it other than the experience I had with Heroes of Might and Magic 2. And much to my delight, it was all the familiar races, plus a bunch of new ones, um, they added it an incredible amount of content, but it was still the tried and true formula. And actually, number three is the 
um, some very often the the celebrated number in the series that everybody says was just right that had everything correct um and i love the game i really do um it was and still is something i get very excited to pick up and play again and to show other people about i never have the same experience twice the the challenge of mastering it would take someone of my particular gaming skill level which isn't very high an amount of time that will never come to be um I just, the way my mind works with these games, I haven't learned a way of conquering these things um, in the strategy sense. And so my sort of bumbling way of going about it, while I have a ton of fun, I'm not bowling over the enemy or doing really high difficulty levels and having to face multiple enemies because I'm bored. It doesn't, it's, I don't think that'll ever happen for me. And the fact that they have made another four games, um, numbered series. So I think they go up to Heroes of Might and Magic 7. Uh, and then there, there's also re- HD remakes of the older ones. And they bring new elements, quirks. It's a series that I will always be taking to pit other games of this genre against. To see if they even match up a little. And if they do... It will always drive me to try the other game, just to get a little of what the Heroes of Might and Magic series has given me over time for entertainment. Um, it, it's a game I love to share with people. I, I, I think it's, I think it's an awesome series. And that's the last of the games that I'll that'll talk about in this group. Like I said, happy to talk about more or, or uh, get a discussion going online because I, th- I think there's a the. There's a million games I could mention. Um, I don't know, a million's made a bit of a stretch, but um, there's a lot of games that are so good that I'll go back to again and again that prevent me from picking up and trying some of the new titles that I have. It's a bit of a conundrum, but it's great to have games that you love to to pick up and play whenever. All the games I mentioned... um, are are cheap games. I mean, if you're in a budget conscious situation um, and have the availability of the of the console or, or PC at your fingertips, I don't think any of those games are over twenty dollars. You want to take the Heroes of Might and Magic series, you can get one, two, three, or four on a on a sale, um, either through GOG or Steam. Uh, if, if, I mean, you could wait for a, a Christmas sale or a summer sale or, you know, they have, they have a lot of, they just come out with different sales all the time, but we're talking a dollar to maybe $3 a piece. And these things are huge games. So if it's the kind of thing you can get into, I mean, bang for your buck is it's, it's incredible. Um, but that's all I wanted to cover in this, in this episode. And, um, certainly don't want to take another humongous break, um, in between coming out and, and having a chat with everybody. Uh, remember to interact with me at cross games feed on Twitter. Um, always trying to find and follow new people and, 
uh, interact with with those I know online and and get some conversations going. But always happy to meet some new folks. And um, yeah, we'll we'll come back and talk about something different uh, next time around. But for now, you know, I'm out of here.